Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and everything in between, welcome down to another episode of the JBFE, the Jake Botel Football Experience. Pleasure to have your company on this glorious Melbourne Cup Tuesday. How excited is everyone to watch horses run around a racetrack and get blotto? That's about all the coverage I'll be doing of the Melbourne Cup. And on with the football. So we're going to be talking high school football, the Vero Beach Fighting Indians. They played their final regular season game against the Vieira Hawks. Looking to stay undefeated in the regular season and move on to the playoffs with another good win under their belt. Then back from the brink, little Jake from name pun there for you, Georgia Bulldogs claw their way out of the uh, college football playoff graveyard back into contention if some things go their way. We'll talk some college football. But first, let's, uh, let's get into the high school action. Pleasure to have your company on the JBFE. So uh, my footballing weekend started on Saturday, taking in Vero Beach High School football, the Fighting Indians action as they played their ninth and final regular season game, looking to go undefeated, 9-0, of course, sitting on a combined record of 61 consecutive regular season victories. Looking to extend their own record to 62. That's a record in the state of Florida. Against the Vieira Hawks. On Friday night for them. Saturday morning for us. And the uh, the Hawks stuck around for a little bit in this one. The Vero Beach side came out. Looked good. Ryan Jankowski, their quarterback, made some nice throws. Some, some good stuff. You know, I've been watching him make some really nice tight window throws. Seems to particularly like those slant routes. Made one beautiful throw between two defensive players to his receiver. A great throw. Jaden Meisinger had some long physical runs. Had one wiped away by a penalty on the offensive line that was a, a huge chunk of yardage. But Vero Beach looked their usual selves on both offense and defense. But Vieira stuck around for a bit. Their quarterback, Bryce Norton, looked really sharp at times too. He made a couple of nice sandlot sort of plays in the first quarter. One ad-libbing out of the pocket and directing traffic before throwing a strike to his man on the sideline. But the reality was he was often swarmed with pressure by the Vero Beach pass rush and having to try and escape the pocket or else pick himself up and dust himself off after being slammed repeatedly into the ground. Didn't really have a lot of protection up front. Perhaps didn't have the same sort of weapons to make use of that uh, Jankowski did. But, but he certainly did his best to keep this a game for as long as he could. There was an insane blocked punt effort from Vero Beach. A huge vertical leap from memory, almost jumping over the back 
of a uh, Vieira Hawks player to uh, block the punt. And look, the game was close. It was a horrible pick thrown by uh, Jankowski just before half time that almost led to a Hawks touchdown. But the defense stood up, stopped the Hawks receiver a few yards short of the goal line. So that was a uh, a play from memory. I sh- I sh- I, this is the thing when you rank amateur and you don't take, you know, 4,000 words of notes. I believe what had happened, it was down to not long left to go before halftime. Jankowski throwing on third or fourth down, perhaps, uh, down towards the Hawks' end zone. Throws an interception straight to one of the defensive players, and Vieira return it well over halfway. And then there's a few seconds left on the clock before half time, and so Vieira going to improvisation time. They snap the ball, and Norton looking for a receiver finds one who takes off, and thankfully for the uh, Fighting Indians, one of their defenders manages to bring him down just short of the uh, the goal line, so avoids that late first half touchdown and then the second half Vero Beach really started to pull away their class rose to the top they had two touchdowns in the third quarter including a brilliant run from uh, McMillan and that made it 28 to 14 heading into the fourth quarter which I believe is what the final score ended up being a 28 to 14 win for Vero Beach their ninth win of the season. They'll finish the regular season 9-0. Their 62nd consecutive regular season victory. And they now move into the playoffs. They're currently ranked 127th nationally and 16th in the state of Florida. They move on to play the Boca Raton Bobcats, who are 8-2, ranked 2,607th nationally, 176th in the state of Florida. So... I imagine the Fighting Indians will be going in against the Bobcats, who are 8-2 in their 10 games this season. Vero Beach are going to be heavy favourites on Friday night. Friday night at 7.30 in Florida, but Saturday morning at around 11.30 for us. I don't know, get get your global clock out and work it out for yourself. I'm not exactly sure. It's going to be in the AM. The nice thing is because it's late for them. It's, it's at a convenient time for us. We don't have to set our alarm clocks and get up at 4 a.m. to watch it. It'll be a bit mid-morning, towards midday, if anything. So that'll be a good one to watch. It'll be interesting to see if they can take this regular season form. As I say, 9-0. They've won 62 consecutive home-and-away contests. So can the Vero Beach Fighting Indians take that over into the playoffs and make a run for a championship. We'll find out that playoff journey starts, as I say, Saturday morning for us, sometime around 11, I believe. You can stream that on YouTube, Vero Beach Fighting Indians. If you YouTube that, their live stream will pop up there for you on the morning of the game. It's good coverage. Commend their coverage. They've got multiple camera angles, 
some nice drone shots of the uh, of the field, which is really nice. Good local commentary, and uh, yeah, just a good job by all there, both on the field and off it. So the Vero Beach Fighting Indians take on the Boca Ratten Bobcats in the first playoff game for them in the postseason this Saturday morning. Get around it. All right. Okay. So the next bit of footballing on my calendar was on Sunday morning taking in some college football action. I watched a little bit of uh, UTEP at North Texas, which ended up being a bit of a blowout win for North Texas. The mean green fighting machine just could not be stopped. Their quarterback threw for about half a dozen touchdowns and whatever UTEP put up. And there there were some points. It was a high-scoring game. UTEP had one really nice uh, kick or punt return. I can't remember one or the other. A return for a touchdown that was absolutely electric, but they just didn't have the ability to stop North Texas, who just kept piling on the points. So watched most of that game. Caught the end of Virginia Tech at Notre Dame. The Fighting Irish just scraping out with a win right at the end in their building with Ian Book taking the ball himself and running it in for a touchdown to give the Fighting Irish a win there. But the two teams that I'd really like to talk about today are Georgia at Florida and then Clemson taking on Wofford. I've got a bit of a vested interest in these two teams uh, from uh, Jake Fromm for Georgia, the quarterback. I watched in the uh, Netflix show QB1. So that sort of followed the final year of his high school football career. So I'm always interested to see how these players do as they move up through the different levels. He was an interesting character to to watch. And so I've been watching him and his progress and Trevor Lawrence. I watched in the Elite 11 quarterback competition, which I talked about on the last episode. There's both these shows, QB1 and the Elite 11, great to watch if, like me, you're interested in looking at who the next batch of college and then NFL quarterbacks might be. It did lead me to thinking the other day, you know, how many, just the rarity of the opportunity to play at the at the very highest level of the NFL. I, I sort of I, I did some searching around how many high school teams are there in America and then how many college teams and obviously then the NFL with 32 teams. You know, the realisation that for a lot of these players, their football career ends at high school. And then another chunk, a massive chunk of players, their, their football careers end after college. 
And you know, then it's it's an absolute minority of people who get the opportunity to play at the very highest level. And it sort of makes you understand why so many people are appreciative of the opportunity that they get to play in the NFL. You can also understand why, you know, you watch these different shows like Last Chance U and QB1 and the Elite 11, um, all these sorts of things that there's such an emphasis to set these players up as people, as much as players, because for most of them, being a football player ends at high school. And then for another subsection of them, it ends at college. So uh, being a football player is a dream that only a few achieve at a professional level. So when when I was researching, I, I found that there were, and I, I could be misquoting, but I'm sure there was roughly 16,000 high school football teams in America. You know, I, I, and close to, I believe, a million boys playing high school football in America. I was interested to see that the number of girls playing high school football, and I saw some... Uh, some highlights of a female quarterback at the high school level throwing some beautiful touchdowns uh, yesterday morning. But the, the amount of girls playing the game has actually doubled in the last 10 years. Now, it's still a very small number. I mean, you're talking about a million boys and about 2,500 girls playing football at the high school level. Well, and, and that's by the... The statistics that I was looking at, which may be slightly outdated, but it did seem to be up to date. But that that number of girls has doubled in the last 10 years, and I think it will continue to climb. That number, you look at Tony Harris, the first female football player to be given or to earn a college-level scholarship that wasn't for the position of kicker. So she's playing safety at the moment in, I think, a Division two or three college. And her, her aspiration is to be the first ever female NFL player. And as if that sort of a drive and ambition and dream wasn't enough to get around, I watched a uh, NFL 360 video about Tony Harrison how she also overcame ovarian cancer recently. Well, I say recently, you know, I think it was within her high school footballing career, to overcome that and then earn a college footballing scholarship, the first woman to earn that outside of the position of kicker is pretty remarkable. And she's made some starts at the college level and just an absolutely inspiring person and how anybody can be you know against her I don't know I really don't know it's kind of disappointing some of the hatred you see on on uh, online towards her I think it's absolutely fantastic what she's doing and I think 
the sport of football, that's why I say, you know, you earn, she earned a scholarship. I don't think an opportunity at any level of football, particularly, you know, for Tony Harris in her position, being a, a, a woman, you know, nothing is going to be given. That's a hard road and I have so much respect for her. And everything that she does is earned and what an incredible journey to undertake. What an incredible journey to follow. And it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if she did become the first professional footballer. Because there is something about when you hear her speak, uh, she clearly just does not take on board the negative feedback of others. And she said, even if she doesn't make it to that level, she will at least have set up a pathway, hopefully, for the next Tony Harris, the next young girl who wants to play in the NFL. So how did we get there? Talking about, ah, I have discovered my train of thought. Talking about, you know, this opportunity that people get, that people earn. So you go from 16,000 or thereabouts, high school football teams in America, that whittles down to about 800 college teams at various levels, which then whittles down to 32 professional football teams in the NFL. Which is insane if you think about, yeah, just the the opportunity, it just gets harder and harder to earn. And you can see, as I say, the emphasis on setting these players up to have other, other things that they are invested in, that they are passionate about. I think it's a, it's a really good thing. And yet, you know, for a lot of people that you hear talk, some of their defining experiences as people come playing high school football, play, come playing college football. It's not as if the only defining football experience you can have is to play at the NFL level. I think a lot of people take away lessons from various levels of football. But that's just a long-winded ramble, I guess, to lead back into why I find it so fascinating to watch guys like Jake Fromm, to watch guys like Trevor Lawrence from their high school careers and to be able to follow their ups and downs. And you might dominate at the high school level, but you step up to college and things get a lot tougher. You step up to the NFL and you can really get found out. But Jake Fromm, Returned to form on the weekend. Georgia 24, defeating Florida 17. From went 20 of 30 for 279 yards. Two touchdowns, no interception. And look, he's an easy player to root for. He's got this sort of country boy kind of feel to him. He's a courageous player. He's also, I think, one of his best assets is what he has upstairs between the ears. He doesn't have the strongest arm 
in football. I think he's got enough arm. But he's also, you can see him thinking. He has a good mind for the game. There's one, and it sort of it may seem, you know, on a rewatch, or even in a moment, uh, inconsequential. But it's a it's a scrambling play where he gets out of the pocket. They're trying to get into field goal range, and he just flips a lateral pass to another offensive player who scrambles ahead to to get a few extra yards, and that puts him in better field goal position. So just little things like that, the, the ability to improvise, to flick a lateral pass out, he's always thinking. And you could see that today. So he was going up against Kyle Trask, a first-year quarterback for Florida, whose stat line looks impressive enough, 21 of 33, 257 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. But this is why it's important to watch players and not just look at their statistics because they have very similar stat lines, both from and Trask. But if you watch them, their impact on their team is vastly different. Now, Trask can have some big plays. He made some impressive throws at times. Uh, but he had a horror play, uh, I believe, in the fourth quarter. He took a sack, backpedaling and not throwing it away. And it put them in a second and 29 situation where on first down they were, they were threatening. And sometimes it's those things as a first-year starter that you don't understand. You're sometimes better to throw the ball away. Rather than lose, you know, 15 yards on a, on a sack, you've, you, you've got to find a way to get out and throw that ball away. And you could see that difference in experience for a guy like Jake Fromm, who I believe still has one year of college eligibility next year, but he may enter the NFL draft anyway. I think that's still up in the air. But you could just see that level ex- of experience that he had in, in good decision-making. One of those... There is a statistic that I think demonstrates that. Georgia, 66.7% conversion rate on third down situations. Florida, just 22.2%. So Florida, uh, sorry, Georgia converting three times as many third down situations. And that's allowing them to continue drives to elongate offensive thrusts. And that's where Jake Fromm, with all that experience, comes into his own, his decision-making, his ability to make crucial throws at crucial times. You see that in Joe Burrow at LSU. It's just such an advantage to have a quarterback with a lot of experience. You can have all those physical tools, and obviously obviously that's a, a huge part of the game, the athleticism, the arm, all those things. You've got to be able to not only see the plays and make them, but... Seeing them is a huge part of it. Understanding how defenses work, understanding of what you're trying to run on offense, how all of those parts fit together. I think Jake Fromm will be an NFL quarterback. He's not the flashy player. You know, you've got the Miami Dolphins and others, you know, tanking at the moment in the NFL with the hope perhaps of getting Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama. And there's no doubting that he's a brilliant exciting prospect 
But it wouldn't surprise me at all if someone like Jake Fromm, who is perhaps a little more circumspect, a little less, uh, he doesn't pop off the screen like Tua might. It wouldn't surprise me at all if 10 years down the track we look back at Jake Fromm as having, you know, if, if both of them end up in the NFL, which you assume that they will, that Fromm has the more consistent career, perhaps. You know, there's, there, are, there are some skills. I, th- I think having a good mind is a transferable skill from high school to college to the pro level. It's, it's something that can really set you apart. Look at Tom Brady. Arguably the greatest to ever play the position. One of the best minds in football. So I think Jake from... And, you know, he was also helped by the return of wide receiver Lawrence Cager, who had seven catches for 132 yards in this game and two touchdowns. So having that sort of weapon on offense, I mean, it's a team sport. You don't just get a a magnificent quarterback and suddenly your team, you know, is magnificent. And this is the argument with the Dolphins, that they've traded away so many assets, known quantities, and, you know, now, okay, you get Tua, you've, got, you've also then got to get weapons around him. It's not enough just to have a quarterback. You have to have assets for him to make use of. You need a defense that's going to be able to get the ball back and put your stars on the field. Someone who does pop off the screen for, for Georgia is DeAndre Swift, their running back, one of the best in college football. Just a real difference maker. Often peels off explosive, explosive runs. Just has excellent pace. He, he was there with uh, another running back across the last couple of seasons. Who I'm trying to remember his name. Um, it won't come to me at the moment. But they sort of played uh, the, the other running back. Holyfield. That was it. Elijah Holyfield. Um... He played a more physical sort of bash and crash kind of role, whereas Swift had that sort of quick cut and pace. And Holyfield, is, I believe, in the NFL now. Swift will be there shortly as well. But he's always a difference maker for Georgia. And I'll be interested to see what Florida look like next season with, with Kyle Trask with a season or so under his belt. They've pushed teams like LSU and Georgia this year, despite having a quarterback with such limited experience. It'll be interesting to see where they go, where they end up. It's a, it's a strong program. But this was an important win for Georgia. They move up to sixth spot in the AP poll from eighth. Florida Falls, four spots from sixth to tenth. A massive win for Georgia, who after their shock loss to South Carolina a few weeks ago, was sort of largely, maybe not written off, but in, but that was the word from some corners, that, that the Bulldogs were now out of contention. But they have sort of turned things around now. They're 7-1. and one. They've got four games left, and I believe all four of those games are highly winnable. Highly winnable and against opposition that will, I think, count favorably when it comes to selection in the college football playoffs. They, they have Missouri at home. 
Missouri currently 5-3. and three. Then they travel to Auburn, ranked 12th in the country. They're 7-2. and two. Then, to te- then they host Texas A&M, who are 6-3. and three. Then at Georgia Tech to finish the season, Georgia Tech 2-6. and six. So three of those four teams with winning records, one of them ranked in Auburn, I still think there's a path for Georgia to get to the college football playoffs. And I think a couple of those situations are if Alabama loses to LSU and then were perhaps upset by Auburn and Georgia were to win out, I think an 11-1 and Georgia would get in ahead of a 10-2 and Alabama that has lost two games in its final month of the season to ranked opponents. Having said that, I don't think that Alabama will lose to both LSU and Auburn. I think that LSU is going to beat the Crimson Tide this weekend. Particularly, I don't see how Tua is going to get up for this game. He's had ankle surgery just within the last fortnight. I don't see how you turn around and then play at the highest level you can. And I think they'll need Tua at his highest level to beat LSU. So I think LSU gets that win, but then I think Alabama wins out. So they'll be 11-1. and Georgia needs to win out. They need to finish 11-1. If they do, could it be Ohio State to slip out of that top four? They play Maryland and Rutgers, and then they have fifth place Penn State, and then end the season at 14th place Michigan. So their arch rivals, Michigan, the Wolverines, that Penn State game is big. If they lose that Penn State game, then that game at Michigan is going to be huge for Ohio State. I think there's only really two positions up for grabs. I think LSU has done enough across the season so far. It's beaten teams like Auburn. It's beaten Florida, uh, Texas, all ranked opponents. I think even if they lose to Alabama, I still think they'll they'll finish eleven and one. And I don't think you could. I just don't see how you can leave LSU out of the the playoff. Given what they've produced already, I mean, perhaps if they got absolutely flogged by Alabama this weekend, maybe that would be a case. But I don't know. I I think they've already put together such massive wins in big spots against other big teams that they'll get into the college football playoff. And I I think Clemson are going to go 12 and 0. We'll get to them in a minute in more detail. But I think they'll finish 12 and 0. And how could they? How could you possibly? You know, there's talk that Clemson's schedule isn't as strong as other teams, but I don't think there's any foreseeable way that the selection committee could leave a 12 and 0 reigning national champion out of the college football playoff. Just don't think you can do it. So there's really two spots in my mind left up for grabs, and it all will hinge on how Ohio State and Alabama, Penn State and Georgia finish out the season. That's going to go a long way to telling us who's going to make it. So Clemson thump Wofford 59-14 to after a 59-7 to win over Boston College last week. There's been a lot of talk 
about Clemson this season and, and you know, the the strength of competition that they get out of the ACC. Is it strong enough? You can only play what's put in front of you. You can only play what's put in front of you. And, and this team, really, if you look back across their schedule, have bullied teams. Clemson hasn't even played that well and they've thumped people 45 to 10. And this is back-to-back weeks now where they've put up almost 60 points on their opposition. And they're starting to look like Clemson from last season at the right time of year, rounding towards the playoffs. Travis Etienne had nine carries, 212 yards and two touchdowns. Just tore. I watched some extended highlights of this game and it looked unfair. Now, I mean, in fairness, this is an unfair matchup, Clemson and at Wofford, or Clemson v. Wofford. It's an unfair matchup. But ETN did nothing <laughs> to show that it wasn't a total mismatch. He, he just looked bigger, faster than anything they could throw at him. And... Trevor Lawrence is starting to look like Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. He's he's got a, it's a he's sort of a laid back kind of attitude. And I don't know if that maybe rubs some people up the wrong way. I'm I'm sometimes not sure where the criticism comes from. I mean, he can look casual at times. His coach Dabo Sweeney said that you know sometimes Trevor trusts his arm too much. He trusts his wide receivers too much. I think you can read between the lines there too. And, and uh, there was always the danger, I think, when you dominate as thoroughly as Clemson had have. Is there a boredom factor that can be, play a part? I mean, I think it's realistic to say that the biggest opposition Clemson was going to face in the home and away season this year was themselves. You know, could, could Clemson beat Clemson could they stay focused and I think I think when you hear Sweeney say stuff like that that's what he's sort of referring to and that's the challenge for him and for that coaching staff to get such a dominant jug juggernaut team like Clemson who I believe went 12 and 0 last season so you're looking at back-to-back undefeated years for Clemson where they're just destroying teams week in, week out. How do you keep players motivated? How do you keep them making smart decisions? When sometimes it feels like you can't do anything wrong. And I think you see things sometimes like with Trevor Lawrence wanting to force that extra play rather than take a check down. There was a touchdown throw against Louisville uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was re-watching that game and... Lawrence should never have thrown it, never have thrown it deep into the end zone. There was about four Louisville players there. And fortunately for him, I think it was his tight end went up and made a great catch, but that could easily have been intercepted. And I imagine that they wouldn't want Trevor Lawrence throwing that ball, but this is a factor. They start to look to create because you start to feel invincible. 
But you look at the last two weeks against Boston College, Trevor Lawrence, 12 of 16, 75% completion percentage, 218 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, four carries for 33 yards and a touchdown. That was his stat line this week, sorry, against Wofford. And last week he was 16 of 19, 275 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, eight rushes for 42 yards. So hasn't thrown an interception in the last two weeks has completed 28 of 35 passes, six touchdowns. He's also run for a touchdown and, what, 75 yards on 12 carries? So he's starting to look like the Trevor Lawrence from last year. Now this Clemson team finishes the season off against NC State, Wake Forest, who are ranked 22nd, and South Carolina. Now South Carolina upset Georgia a few weeks ago, but... I think the thing with Georgia is they are inclined to play close games just because of how they roll. It's always an arm wrestle. That's just the sort of style of football they play. Clemson's a little different. I don't think that NC State or South Carolina are going to worry Clemson. Wake Forest is a ranked opponent. It's a conference opponent. But... I don't think Wake Forest has the sort of defense that can stop this Clemson offense. Even if Wake Forest somehow puts up some points in a shootout, I just think Clemson are too strong on offense for Wake to, uh, to stop. So realistically, I, I, I struggle to see Clemson going anything but 12-0 to finish the season. They will be in the college football playoffs. You cannot leave a 12-0 reigning national champion out. I th- that would be absurd. And so they'll head into the playoffs and they are going to be dangerous. I think experience counts for a lot. You know, you've got challenger teams like LSU, currently ranked first. But Joe Burrow hasn't been to the college football playoff. Ed Ogeron and LSU haven't been to the college football playoff in this uh, Ed Ogeron era. Certainly not with Joe Burrow at quarterback. Ohio State have a first-year head coach in Ryan Day and a first-year quarterback in Justin Fields. Also, Fields is also featured in that uh, Netflix QB1 docu-series in Season 2. So good to see him playing. But they also haven't got that experience. And it's where teams like Alabama, who have been there year in, year out, two has been there now you know, two years in a row. And he's won a national championship. He's lost a national championship. He knows what that feels like. Clemson and Dabo Sweeney have won two national championships in the last, I think, four or five seasons. One with uh, Deshaun Watson and one last year with Trevor Lawrence. So Trevor Lawrence has been there. Travis Etienne has been there. Large chunks of this Clemson roster and their coaching staff have been there. So there's a level of experience, a level of comfort that Clemson and Alabama have when it comes to going to the college football playoffs. They've been there, done that. In fact, I believe, and this is off the top of my head, I believe that the last four seasons, it's either been Clemson or Alabama has won the national championship. 
So that is a big factor. Once it come, once we rock around to playoff time, once January heads around, you know, we can sort of go, oh, well, Clemson sort of played with its food a bit this season. Oh, Alabama too is a bit banged up. But those teams, who knows? I think experience counts for a lot when it comes to the big stage. So we can talk about LSU now, and I'd love to see LSU win a national championship. I'm a huge Joe Burrow fan. I'm a huge huge Ed Ogeron fan. It would be great to see Ohio State get it done with first-year head coach Ryan Day, but you've got to go through Alabama and Clemson. And as I say, Georgia is now snapping at your heels. Penn State also, you know, they're making a claim as well. But I think Clemson and Alabama are the two teams that the, the path to that national championship runs through because they've been there and done it. So it's going to be a fascinating weekend ahead. I can't wait. We've got LSU traveling to Tuscaloosa to take on Alabama. Will Tua be starting for the Crimson Tide? I mean, and, and if he does start, how well is he playing? How healthy is he? That'll be a big factor. So I can't wait to watch that game on Sunday. But until then, I think that will do us for our college football. We've somehow talked on for half an hour here about college football. But it's a pretty awesome subject. But I'll wrap it up there. Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the JBFE, the Jake Botel Football Experience. A pleasure, as always, to have your listening company so that I'm not just talking in a room on my own, which I guess I am when I'm recording. But just knowing that there's a few ears going to listen makes me feel a little less insane. So we've got a big weekend of college football coming up. LSU and Alabama. Hope you can watch that or listen to it or however you consume it. Hope you can get it in. I'll be back this week to do an NFL wrap-up. Some big games. But I feel like I needed to give the high school and college stuff its rightful spotlight. And then the same with the NFL. If I do a couple of episodes a week, it means I can get into the nitty-gritty of both. But there's some massive, massive results in the NFL that I can't wait to dig into. But until that time... If you got any feedback for me, if you want to get in touch, the jbfe at gmail.com. That's the word, the jbfe at gmail.com. Send us an email, feedback, a topic you'd like me to cover, what have you. Also, follow me on social media, Facebook, the Jake Botel Football Experience. Or on Instagram, also at the Jake Botel Football Experience. 
Looking forward to talking to you again in the near future. Until then, you've been great. I have been reasonable. It's the JBFE. Thanks for listening.